Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, I'm Logan Camden. I'm Carson Brabber. And this is Nerd Sesh. No! Oh my god, how could he do that? Are you on What? Charles Darwin. Alright, well we are obviously down to four teams left in the NBA playoffs, and among those four teams are some of the best players in the league. However... Some of the guys who've been incredible in these playoffs were not traditional regular season all-NBA superstar level guys. So today what we're going to be doing is going through the top 10 guys left in the playoffs right now. And basically in my mind that means the top 10 guys who I want going forward. Not just evaluating how they've played in these playoffs, but going forward throughout these playoffs. Which 10 guys in that order do you want on your team if you're trying to win a championship? So let's start with number 10. Logan, who do you have? Uh, at number 10, I have Kemba Walker. Uh, you know, Kemba's shifty, he's smart, he knows where to be. Uh, he's a guy I want taking big shots, and he's good at running an offense, but uh, in these playoffs, he's had a tendency to just go cold. 3-9 uh, and nine in the second half of Game 2 when they needed him. 1-9 uh, of nine from downtown in Game 1. Uh, if I need a big shot, or if I need somebody's ankle snatched in, uh, in half, I'm taking Kemba, but... Uh, I have the other two Celtics higher uh, above Kemba because he's been so streaky, only 29.4% from deep in these playoffs. Um, but you know, Kemba's is constant, and if I need a bucket late, I'm definitely going to him. Yeah, and that to me is a major factor in why I am still pro Kemba for the most part. I think that he has been inconsistent, and at times he hasn't been as good as they've needed him to be. At the same time, if I need a guy to get me one shot to win a game, he might be in the top five out of all the guys in this group, and that's a really valuable skill. My number 10 is a guy who's actually outperformed Kemba pretty consistently, but still at the end of the day, if it's coming down to one game, I'm going to take Kemba because he's done it for longer and more consistently if you look throughout the regular season the past couple seasons. My number 10 is Goran Dragic, who has been unbelievable right now, is the more reliable shot maker than Kemba, as I said. I don't feel quite as safe in expecting that to continue. I think it's more likely that Dragic drops off a little bit, whereas Kemba is far more likely to get better than to get worse, in my opinion. But Dragic is averaging 21-4-5 in these playoffs on 46-38-80 splits. That's versus 16 a game in the regular season. It's been an unbelievable ascension from him, and it's not the kind of thing that you often see from a 33-year-old in the playoffs who is still a really good player throughout the regular season, a top five six-man-of-the-year candidate. But Kendrick Nunn, the unproven rookie, is starting over him. 
And now in the playoffs, he's been a legitimate third star and at times has been their best offensive player. Shooting 52% in the paint in the non-restricted area, which is essentially floater range for a guy like him. That's unbelievable touch and consistency there. And I think that we've seen that unlock so much because... Yes, he's fantastic from three, he's good at the rim, but it's also in that mid-range area, that floater area where guys like him are just more effective at carving out buckets in playoff time when things get a little bit tougher and get a little bit uglier. I think that he's more valuable in carrying a team than a guy like Jalen Brown because he's that big-time shot maker. He's been so great at creating for others. I do think, though, and I'll spoil that I have Jalen higher on this list, I went back and forth between those two. But Jalen is just playing such unbelievable defense right now and is excelling in his role so much that I did put him a little bit higher just because we've seen it more consistently throughout this season. And it's tremendously valuable to be a guy who can play that that level of defense. At the same time, it's incredibly valuable to be the kind of guy who can be your team's closer in the fourth quarter and your primary creator. That is what Dragic has been. And he's one of the stories of the playoffs to me because the Heat do not get here without Dragic playing at this level. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. I have Drogic at number nine for me, um, and I don't think you can overstate what Drogic has done for the Heat in these playoffs. Uh, as you said, he's crafty in the lane. He's good at putting up floaters and shots in the lane in general. Um, I think Game 3 really exposed the Heat to us. If if Drogic has an off night, if Drogic doesn't shoot well, the Heat cannot win. This offense does not run the same when Drogic is not running that offense and getting into the lane and getting buckets. Um, games 1 and 2, he shot well, 29 points and 25 points. Uh, seven boards, four assists in game one, 11 of 19 from the field, game two, 10 of 19 from the field, and you see the drop-off, a loss when he shoots two of 10 from the field and one of five from deep. He had a negative 29 plus minus in game three. I mean, it was abysmal. Um, He passes well, he gets to his spots. Um, I think offensively, Carson, I think I would put uh, Goran Dragic over uh, Jimmy Butler because... I don't think Butler has the same impact as a ball handler like Drogic. He's just, in my opinion, he's smarter than Butler. He's Now, the reason that I have a guy like Jimmy Butler over him, obviously, I want Butler taking those big shots, and Butler gives so much more defense to the table. But, um, yeah, Drogic is definitely one of the stories of the playoffs. He has been unreal, and he is he's been a top-three player for the Heat so far in the playoffs. Unequivocally a top-three player for the Heat. And you make an interesting point in his offensive value because he is... Their leading scorer, he averages more assists a game than Jimmy. The difference to me is Jimmy is really insane in that takeover ability from a guy who doesn't necessarily have the skill set where you think he was tentative to shoot threes throughout so much of this season, but he just gets downhill. He makes jump shots off the dribble that you just haven't seen him make that consistently because he's just kind of different mentally. And then as you, uh, the defense is obviously different, but in the offensive value between those two is a discussion, which we certainly didn't expect from a guy who, again, was their sixth man coming into the season. And that is how a Heat team that doesn't have a top 10 guy in basketball has thrived and gotten to this point where they're up two games to one in the conference finals. My number nine is Jalen Brown. And Jalen's really tough to evaluate because I think that one thing that stands out with him compared to these other guys, Drogic, Kemba, Jamal Murray, these guys who don't have these tremendous physical gifts, but have this unbelievable feel for the game. Just seems like they have the ball on a string, can make these incredible contested shots, have this natural God-given touch, and just move like basketball players. Jalen Brown is sort of the polar opposite of it, because he's this guy that was given this incredible athletic build and this gritty mentality, and then... NBA coach Brad Stevens and the entire Celtics organization just sort of said, let's see what we can craft around that because he came out of the draft incredibly unpolished and now obviously has improved his handle, has improved his shooting and the defense is outstanding. That was one thing that you could always bet on because he was 
not just so dynamic athletically, but so strong. I think that that's the most incredible thing. He has such a sturdy base to where he can give a guy like Pascal Siakam nightmares. His opponents are shooting 34% against him in these playoffs versus an average of 45. So that's a minus 11 differential. That's unbelievable. And I think that you could argue that he has played the best individual wing defense of anyone I have on my list. Really, the comparison would be Jimmy Butler, maybe Jason Tatum, but I think that Jalen has been better throughout these playoffs. He's also been really consistent scoring, averaging 21-7-2 on 46-33-86 splits. Maybe not the best outside shooting from him in these, him in these playoffs, but that'll probably even out. It's not a huge sample size. The thing is, though, his role is so much easier than so many of these other guys. 67% of his field goals are assisted. And that's why I've always said that Jalen Brown scores maybe the 20, the easiest 20 points per game in basketball because without Tatum, without Kemba there, demanding so much attention from these defenses, Jalen is not scoring 20 a game. He just gets so many favorable matchups. He gets so many open threes. And so for that reason, I don't consider his 21 a game to be remotely equivalent to Drogic's 21 a game, which is why initially I had Drogic higher. Then I flipped though, just because the defense has been so exceptional from Jalen and Yes, maybe he's not as high of a level creator as Drogic is, but at the same time, when he's playing that kind of defense and knocking down open shots and still getting you 20 a game, that's an incredibly valuable player. Uh, I have Jalen Brown at 8. I have him above Kemba just because of what we've seen out of the playoffs. Um, It's interesting. I completely agree, Carson. Kemba and Jason Tatum get so much attention that... Uh, I think you have to give Jalen Brown a little bit of the credit, though, because there is a certain basketball IQ there. Um, He's such a smart backdoor cutter, and... Dude, he is strong at the rack, man. He can finish with the best of them. He's he's built, he's stout, he's just he is made for going into the lane and getting tough finishes on guys like Bam Adebayo, guys who are going to contest tough shots. Um I think he's been more dependable so far than Kemba. Uh why do you think I mean I get on a last shot kind of deal with Kemba Walker. I definitely want Kemba taking a shot because he's been there and he's taken these big moments. Why what has stood out to you from Kemba that makes you put him over Jalen Brown from a playoff perspective and what we've seen this season? Well, it's a very valid question because right now in these playoffs, Jalen is outscoring Kemba on better efficiency, playing much better defense. So I think that if you're looking at just their resumes in these playoffs, obviously Kemba offers more as a playmaker where Jalen is incredibly limited. His vision still isn't there. His accuracy on passes still isn't there. But Kemba has struggled. He's been rattled by zones, by people trapping him, throwing two defenders at him. He just has struggled to see over those guys and at times has either forced the issue or just flat out made mistakes that hurt the team. He's struggling from deep, shooting just 29% from three in these playoffs. But at the same time, he's still Kemba. He's a guy who averaged 26 points per game last year and was able to carry a Hornets team to respectability on a roster that was far from respectable. And I think that that's what we have the potential to see from him on any given night. I can't take away the value of Jalen defensively, but... Even though Jalen is outscoring Kemba, I think Kemba is a monumentally better offensive player. And he's hit some really big shots in these playoffs. He's had those step-back free-throw line jumpers that have killed teams a couple times. We saw it in Game 7. In Game 3 against the Raptors, he made what would have been an incredible game-winning play. That pass to Daniel Tice, which was just so aware of clock and situation and also the configuration of the defense and where his teammate was located. So... In those biggest moments, Jalen Brown is not irrelevant. He's hit some big shots, but he is your third option every single time. You're never drawing a play up for Jalen Brown because he doesn't have that kind of creation. So maybe it's an oversimplification of the game to who do I want as a bucket getter? If you look at how Kemba projects going forward, 
He's had a couple of the toughest matchups you possibly could over these last two series. Had to go up against Lowry and Van Vliet and that entire high-level defensive scheme with great personnel engineered by Nick Nurse. That's really difficult. Most guys don't have to go up against a mind and personnel of that caliber. And then to follow that up immediately with the, the perimeter defenders of the Miami Heat, where it's Jimmy Butler in times. It's Jay Crowder is even stuck with him. Bam Adebayo, as far as a big switching out on you, is about as tough as it can get. And you have Spolstra developing these defensive schemes to make life hard on you. So I think that under most circumstances, we would be seeing a more productive Kemba. I do think that he has had to be better on his own merits. There's no excuse for missing open threes, which he has probably done too much. But when it comes to a Game 7... Even though Jalen's going to do the little things, and I'm aware of that, and he's going to play great individual defense, and he's probably going to make open shots, Kemba can get me 40. And that's really special, and I don't want to undervalue that just because he hasn't been playing great in these playoffs. So let's move on now to your number seven. I saw there as being a very distinct few tiers on this list. 10 through 8 to me was a distinct tier. Five through seven, I found almost impossible to rank, but it was clear to me that those were going to be my three guys. So I'm interested in seeing where you go here. Who do you have at seven? So before we get into my seven, can you just recap your uh, 10, nine, and eight for me? So 10, I had Drogic. Nine, I had Jalen. Eight, I had Kemba. Okay. Now, Carson, call me crazy. At number seven, I have Jimmy Butler. And the reason why is I think Bam Adebayo is more valuable to this roster than Jimmy Butler, and I think it's because of his screen and roll, I think it's because of what he does defensively, I'm going to get into Bam uh, up here in a few, but you know, Jimmy's a smart passer, he's a genius defender, uh, but for me, I feel like Jimmy can just disappear for portions of games because of the team that's around him, I feel like he can rely on his teammates a little more, and don't get me wrong, he's still as talented as ever, but I just feel like Bam has more impact on the floor, I think, you know, Jimmy's mid-range game is solid, he's still a good finisher, but... Bam gives you more, in my opinion. He's a better uh, interior defender, obviously, size-wise. He gets more boards, but this Heat offense not only counts on Goran Dragic, it counts on Bam Adebayo to get screens, to open up the floor for these shooters like Tyler Hero, like Duncan Robinson, and in a vacuum, if you're asking me to pick between two players for one game, yes, I'll take Jimmy Butler because he can get me a tough shot, but his pure value to the Miami Heat, I think Bam Adebayo brings more to the floor than anybody else on this Heat roster. I can't call you crazy. Because I, there was a stretch when I had Bam above Jimmy. I think that they are neck and neck like this. Let me tell you what is the difference maker in my mind. And I don't have either of them at seven, actually. Jimmy's scoring 7.1 fourth quarter points per game on 60% from the field, 45.5% from three, averaging .7 steals in these fourth quarters. And for a guy who's been tremendous on defense, is such a great initiator out of the pick and roll, shooting 48% from three miraculously in these playoffs just because he's Jimmy Butler and he steps up to the biggest moment. Bam may be their most valuable player for the first three quarters because he's been an outstanding finisher, obviously an incredible playmaker. Per 100, they are 21 points better with him on the floor than off it. That, I'm pretty sure, is the best mark of anyone in the playoffs that plays volume minutes. That's unreal. Bam changes everything. But they don't win several of these games throughout these playoffs without Jimmy Butler asserting himself as the takeover scorer late in a lot of these games. You can literally point to games one to games one and two of this series where Jimmy scored eight in the fourth quarter in overtime in game one, had two big-time go-ahead shots. Game two makes essentially the clinching defensive play when he had that unbelievable steal and breakaway dunk. Those are just the kind of things I get from Jimmy. And a guy who who is able to score 20 a game in such a fascinating way where it's from mid-range, it's so many free throws. He's taking nine, nine point something free throws a game, a free throw rate of 
76.5, which means that he's taking over three quarters as many free throws as field goal attempts, which he was already up around there in the regular season, but it's just even more dramatic in the playoffs. He's just a guy who's going to get me a bucket no matter what. And at the end of the game, Bam can't do that at all. He can impact the game defensively. So can Jimmy, though. And Jimmy is the kind of guy who is going to embrace every single tough defensive matchup. He's going to terrify really good offensive players because if he comes swarming at you, slapping the ground, doing all sorts of crazy Jimmy Butler stuff, and you know that he is aware of everything at all times and that he's tougher than you and that he probably wants it more than you, that's terrifying. So not to take anything away from Bam, I think it's neck and neck, but that's why I lean Jimmy. My number seven, though, as I said, is not either of those guys. Of either of those guys. And maybe I'm crazy for this. I have Jamal Murray here, and Murray has been incredible. 26.5, 5, and 6.5 on 51, 48, 88 splits, only 2.6 turnovers a game. Unbelievable. I talked about Jimmy's fourth quarter scoring. Murray, 9.4 fourth quarter points per game on 56% from the field, 62% from three. Better in literally every single way at 23 years old. Improved finishing at the rim where he has just demonstrated unbelievable body control and touch and just acrobatic finishes where he puts this unbelievable spin on the ball and it just finds its way in every single time. From three, we've never seen Jamal Murray shoot volume threes like this. He's never been that comfortable with it. The step back has been incredible. And... His passing has improved. Six and a half assists per game from him is not something we've ever seen. I think that he's taking more risks. I think that he's trying to make more Jokic-like passes, if you will, where he takes a gamble, sees an open guy, and tries to fit it into a tight gap. And as you can see, he's not killing them with turnovers. His defense has been better. This is a guy who's always been something of a defensive liability, but he's a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, and has hung relatively tough on that end. He's actually shooting worse from mid-range, 40% in these playoffs versus 46% in the regular season because the guy's a mid-range artist, which tells you that maybe there's another ceiling even that this could go to. He just has so much potential to take over every single game. We've seen it. He's gotten 50 multiple times, was unbelievable last night, got 40 in Game 7 versus the Clippers. But at the same time, he still has that potential to not show up. And when I look at Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, those are two guys who are going to impact the game at a very high level no matter what, defensively, with playmaking. Bam is going to get his 15-plus no matter what off of just being a dynamic roller to the rim. Jimmy is not going to let his team go down late. And I feel kind of stupid for not having Jamal Murray higher because he's got six straight games with 20-plus, averaging 26-plus in these playoffs, has consistently stepped up when they've needed him to, has improved in every way. And let me be clear, we are not seeing a hot streak anymore. We are seeing a star in Jamal Murray. He has taken the jump, and and I'm ready to say that it's the evolution of the step-back three. It's the improved playmaking. It's that added strength. It's that improved finishing. He's producing like a guy who's a borderline top 10 player in basketball, period. And I hate this, but I have to go with my gut deep down, which tells me that in a game seven, I need that guy who will impact the game in every way, no matter what. And it's different from a guy like Jalen Brown versus Kemba to me because Jalen is defense and straight up shooting. Jimmy and Bam, I'm getting playmaking. They're making their teammates better. I'm getting incredible defense, like all defense level production from Bam, maybe the best defensive player in the world right now, and I'm going to get that scoring. It's so tough. I love Jamal Murray so much. His ability to just command the game out of the pick and roll, to make big shots time and time again, to close these games out, has honestly been unrivaled throughout these playoffs. He's been the best at it. But there is just still that nagging little bit of doubt within me that if he weren't on this incredible hot streak, if he weren't shooting 48% from three, for example, like if you drop him from 48% from three to 40, then he's averaging a little over 24 a game. And yes, that's still incredible. That's fantastic. But 
the guy's not going to shoot 48% from three. He's taking difficult threes for the most part. 40% would be great. The guy was sub 35 in the regular season. And again, I do think he's improved. I think he's much improved. But I don't think he's consistently a 27, 5, and 6.5 guy on all otherworldly efficiency. I know you're upset with me. I'm upset with me. I am literally the biggest Jamal Murray advocate. And sometimes I think that I just need to go with where my heart wants to be a little more. At the same time, in a closeout game, even though he was fantastic versus the Clippers, wasn't great versus the Jazz, only had 17, but was big when they needed him to be, there's still something holding me back just a tiny bit. Carson, I'm floored. I am absolutely... I, I This changes the complexity of the podcast to me because I was expecting a... <laughs> a top five Carson Breber red hot take about Jamal Murray and why he is one of the best players in the world. Um, frankly, I'm a little disappointed. I kind of wanted it. I, and I thought about it. <laughs> I really like five through seven for me kept me up. I didn't sleep well last night because of this. Cause I was like, what if Jamal really does sustain it quite at this level? But I just, the 48% from three isn't quite sustainable and he's fantastic. He's in that star level. I think he's definitively better than Kemba Walker. That's more impressive than we give it credit for. No one thought that during the regular season. You would have been insane to say something like that. So the stride is undeniable, but maybe I'm not quite high enough on him. Yeah, um, I'm going to get into my Murray, uh, where I have him on my list. Uh, I've got him up quite a little bit. Uh, we already talked about my number six. I have Bam at a bio with six. Um, like I said, uh, smart cutter, smart pick and roll guy. He knows where to get. He gets to his spots in the paint, and he's a tremendous defender. Uh, Carson, so who did you have at six? I have Bam as well, and I do want to give him credit because he was fantastic during the regular season, but this is the best that we've ever seen him, averaging 18, 11 and a half, and 5 on 56% from the field, 82% from the line, maybe the best defender left in the bubble, he unlocks so much as far as what Miami can even try with, with the zone that they've been pulling out, that's all made possible by Bam's ability to get on the perimeter, play at a high level there, to help whenever they need him to, the guy can literally just do everything, and he's... Outside of AD, the best at-rim finisher left for big men in, in these playoffs as well. He's an unbelievable role, man. I mentioned the impact on team success where they're 21 points per 100 better with him. And he commands the whole game defensively. And this is so stupid, Logan, because I'm contradicting what I always say, which is that a great shot maker is the most valuable thing you have in the playoffs. And Jamal Murray has carried a supporting cast that does not compare to Miami's past a much better team than Miami's had to play in the LA Clippers. For playoff purposes, the Clippers are undeniably better than a team like the Bucks. They're, I would think, better than a team like the Celtics, although obviously the Clippers did underachieve a little bit, but Murray was the guy stepping up and making that happen, making those unbelievable clutch shots time and time again, and yet, for some reason, I still can't get there. Um... Is there anything else you would like to add on Bam before we get into the top five? <laughs> no, we can move on. All right, so who do you have at number five? Uh, number five, I have Jason Tatum. Um, to put it simply, Jason Tatum is the man. He's a crazy good finisher around the rack. He's a big guy with a great handle. He finds tough passing angles. And to me, the reason that people should think of Jason Tatum as one of the best offensive players in the world is when you put a guy like Bam Adebayo on Jason Tatum, when the Heat have to make that switch, when they put Adebayo on Tatum, you know he is that good offensively. Um, he's two bigs for other wings on this, on this roster. Um, it's still weird to me saying that Jason Tatum is the best offensive player on a team with Kemba Walker, but it's true. They're not in the same ballpark anymore. Jason Tatum has clearly overtaken that. He is the man on this team. And even in this series, 30 points in game one, 14 boards, five assists. Game two, 21, five and four. And then last uh, game three, 25, 14 and eight. 
Tatum shows up every night. Um, I think he could be higher on this list if he was a little further along defensively, but um, I didn't really expect this jump. I know you did, Carson, and this is really the guy I'm expecting a hot take from you on. I want to hear the why you think Jason Tatum is up here. So... I have Jimmy Butler at five. I already talked about that. It's the takeover ability. It's the the defense in the big spots, which is just incredible. It's the ability to consistently generate points just by getting to line where you have basically automatic points. I have Tatum at four, though, so I will get into that now. And there have been times throughout these playoffs where I've been critical of Jason Tatum because at 22 years old, he has not had that same takeover gear as Jamal Murray and Nicole Jokic on the other side of things who have every single game been the stars that their teams need them to be when they need them most. Tatum, though, is at 25-10-5 on 45-39-80 shooting in these playoffs, also playing great defense, and my criticism of him would be this. Only 5.1 fourth quarter points per game on 37% from the field. So he hasn't been his best in the biggest spots, whereas Jimmy Butler is outscoring him by two fourth quarter points per game while Tatum is outscoring him by... Seven throughout the first three quarters. I mean, that's a pretty glaring difference between those two. And I do think it reflects the mentality where Jimmy is this unbelievable dog that's going to will his team to win. Jamal Murray is the kind of guy who never fears the moment, who thinks every shot that he takes is going to go in. And because of that, he's absolutely lethal. Um, Tatum isn't quite there yet. Even though he has the experience having been to the conference finals before, he doesn't assert himself as the best player on the court as much as he should. He should be the best player in this Miami series. I don't know if he has up to this point, but I still have to rely on his talent when I compare him to a guy like Jamal. What Jamal's doing is incredible, but it just comes easier from Tatum. And whereas Murray, to me, I can't really see him getting any better in these playoffs because he's just on such an unbelievable shooting streak, Tatum's only at 45-39-80 splits, and he hasn't been great in fourth quarters. So he has another level that he can still go up to, and I will gamble and take a chance on that when the Celtics need him most, he'll get there. I think the most incredible thing that has been underrated is his playmaking. This is a guy who came into the league with not very impressive passing vision and is now making some really high-level decisions, great reads, finding open guys consistently, and has actually helped punish the zone a bit with some of that decision-making. So that's not something I expected from him. He's been... Pretty darn good overall. At the same time, I just still want a little bit more from him because he's not going to get into the top three range as far as guys in these playoffs still go. Those three are just a different level of superstar, but he should be the clear fourth because he has the skill set that no one else in in this these playoffs can match. And if he can maximize that ability in the biggest spots, then I think that he will clearly assert himself as the fourth guy. But you have him fifth. So who do you have fourth? Well, I want to say one last thing about Tatum. I also think that's a problem of this Celtics team in general. We've seen them disappear in the fourth quarter and especially uh, overtime game one. Jason Tatum went 0 for 4. A three-point loss, you cannot have that from your number one guy. Um, at number four, I have got Nikola Jokic. Um, he's the He has the best post moves of any big man in the league, and he's the best passing center I've ever seen. And I think you can make a case for Jokic to be higher if he wasn't matched up against the Lakers. He's he's Carson, finally, we are seeing it. He looks aggressive. He's not tentative anymore. He wants it down low. He's not shying away from JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard. He wants buckets on the inside, and he's going to get them. But the reason he is not higher for me is he is absolutely abysmal defensively. The Lakers clearly want Jokic to switch on to LeBron because Jokic cannot stop him whatsoever. He doesn't have the foot speed to defend LeBron or defend these other quicker wings on the roster. Um, Yes, Carson, I see that look on your face, and uh, I know why, because I'm going to make the case that you didn't want to. 
Wow. Uh, so you think that Jamal Murray is more valuable and better to this Nuggets team right now than Nikola Jokic? Yes. Okay, let me tell you why you are unequivocally wrong. Um, <laughs> listen, who has been the most unstoppable scorer in the biggest spots? If there is one skill that you're going to say Murray has that over Jokic, it's obviously shot making. It's obviously closing ability in particular because he's the perimeter shot maker. Jokic has been the unstoppable guy late. And when he is shooting like this off the pop, 43% from deep, when he's hitting one-legged Dirk-like shots time and time again while being a top three passer in basketball, attempting and executing things that most people can only dream of, there's no comparison. Jamal Murray doesn't show up sometimes. He's great. He's taking the leap. Sometimes you just hold him to 14 or 12 points and he do, and he can't impact the game in any other way because he's still not that really high-level playmaker, elite decision-maker, a liability defensively as well. It's more obvious with Jokic because he's the kind of guy who doesn't have the physical tools to ever really make up for a mistake. And also, he's the rim protector, so you can go at him again and again, quote-unquote rim protector. He doesn't actually do much of it. At the same time, who was better defensively in Game 7 versus the Clippers? It was Jokic fighting on the boards, making plays on the ball, vertically challenging shots, and I think he had three blocks in that game. So there's a certain level of will to win that, yes, Jamal has, and he can almost match Jokic there, which is why they're such a dynamic pairing, because they're two guys who really do not want to ever let their team go down and have essentially an unstoppable offensive formula, which is just put the ball in Murray's hands and let's run that pick and roll time and time again. At the same time, who is truly unstoppable? It's Nikola Jokic, because look at game two. Jokic scores 11 straight points. He abuses Anthony Davis, the guy who I thought should have been the defensive player of the year in the post, makes him look like a little child, gets four feet from the bucket, and puts it in. What did Jamal, what did Jamal Murray do on the possession before that? Had a brutal step back three that got tipped because he was affected by some really high-level perimeter defense from, I believe it was KCP on that possession. You can take Murray away a little bit. Now, if he's really on, you can't. You cannot do that to Nikola Jokic. He will score with Murray. He will make his teammates better to another level. And it's just not even close, in my opinion. There, there is so clearly to me a guy who I trust in the biggest spots. Go back to Game 7 versus Utah. Murray had 17. Jokic had 32 and a near triple-double, I'm pretty sure. He's just the kind of guy who never fades. And it's, it's fascinating to me that you said this because I think that Jamal Murray is a spectacle. I love that guy. I have loved that guy for a very long time, and he is so much better now than we've ever seen him. At the same time, Jokic is, to me, no doubt a top-eight player in basketball. So do you think that Jamal Murray is at that level? Because here's what I'll say about Murray. I don't want to get carried away with what he's doing because it's happening on the biggest stage. Because if Donovan Mitchell, if Devin Booker, if one of those guys was doing this, would we suddenly say they're a top 10 player in basketball? I would hope so if that's the standard for Murray because they were definitely better than Murray throughout the regular season. I just think we're seeing an unbelievably gifted shot maker do it on the highest level. At the same time, there are more gifted shot makers out there who could do it more consistently who just haven't had this opportunity. So make the defense. Why do you have Murray above Jokic? The reason that I have Murray above Jokic is Murray has that different takeover ability, Carson. And when the Nuggets need a big shot, yes, they can go to Jokic. But who is taking the threes late, Carson? It's Murray. It's Murray. He's showing up consistently. And you want to say, Carson, personally, I think you are so afraid of looking biased that you will not open your eyes to the numbers. 40-piece against the Clippers. 250-pieces earlier in the playoffs. Murray has been on fire. He's unstoppable. And, I, I, yes, I think he could lighten up. And we've seen some duds from, from him. The 14-point games, the 12-point games. He's able to get locked up. But, Carson, we are seeing a different beast in these playoffs. And 
Maybe I'm getting carried away. Maybe I'm getting over... <laughs> Maybe I'm just getting caught in the spectacle of the Western Conference Finals, but Murray is so such a great off-balance shooter, and when the Nuggets need a bucket, it seems like he doesn't miss. I think that, yes, on a... From what we've seen overall, Jokic or Murray, yes, I'm going to take Nikola Jokic. But what we've seen in these playoffs has been unreal from Jamal Murray. I think he's taken that step, and I think you can make a case that Jamal Murray is a top 10 player in basketball overall. Wow. Listen, that's unbelievably bold. And I love Jamal Murray. I just think that we need to keep in mind in this context that there are a few people who can make shots from mid-range like him. The guy has unbelievable balance, as you said there, and is just a dead-eye. It's incredible. He also has to work really hard for his points because he doesn't take very many easy shots. Whereas Jokic is the kind of guy who can bully someone to get four feet from the bucket or is is just dead-eye from three right now to where if you close out on him, it still doesn't really affect him. And you say that Murray is the one who's been taking these big threes late, and that's true. Murray has been incredible late. He's outscoring Jokic by a few points a game in the fourth quarters, but at the same time, there have been spots where Murray is not going and where Murray drops off. And who do they turn to then to win them the game? Nicole Jokic, and he has done that for them. They do not win Game 7 against Utah if Jokic is not spectacular because Murray did not play a good game. He hit a big shot late. He did not play a good game. It was Jokic dominating. Game 7 against the Clippers. Murray was phenomenal, a 40-piece. Jokic was the one who dictated and controlled that game the entire game, and I think that we need to keep in mind that, yes, this is incredible from Jamal Murray, and it's not just flash, it's not just a hot streak, it's incredible winning basketball. At the same time, in Nikola Jokic, you have a guy who is top 25 in playoff points, rebounds, and assists per game all time. And I think that that is very telling because he dominates the game in all facets offensively. I don't think he's significantly more of a liability than Murray defensively. I think that they both have their issues there. And it's just clear to me who I'm turning to if I really need to win a game. That's why I have Jimmy and Bam above Murray. Even though I think Murray is otherworldly, I don't trust him like I would trust a Devin Booker or a Bradley Beal or a Donovan Mitchell. And I think we need to keep that in mind because it still looks like Murray is just working a little bit harder and that there's a little bit more miracle juice in every big shot that he makes because you just look at that and you think, that was a tough look. And yes, he's incredible at making those, better than almost anyone else in basketball. At the same time, would I rather have a guy who can get to the line eight times every single game? Yes, of course. That's more sustainable than a guy who's giving me 26 plus on three free throws a game or whatever. So... Murray's fantastic. I just think when you compare him to Jokic, it's still not that close in my opinion. So that's we're we're done with number three there. I have Jokic. I give him all the credit in the world. I think that he makes a case for number two in these playoffs, in my opinion. I think you could argue that he's been better than Anthony Davis. Um, I don't think that he has because of what AD does defensively, but Actually, maybe Jokic has had the better playoffs. I don't think he's the better player, though. And if I'm taking one guy going forward, it's going to be AD because there's nothing to expose there. So let's get into number two. Who do you have there? I thought I was going to come in here and make a Anthony Davis number one over LeBron case. And, and I'm not. Uh, just because it's LeBron. Um, and also, watching games, AD does not get as nearly as many buckets without LeBron feeding him the ball. This offense of the Lakers does not run without LeBron feeding guys the ball. If you're putting Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee out there, they're not going to get any buckets without LeBron just dumping them little passes inside the jam. Um, Anthony Davis's numbers have been the most impressive of anybody in this series, and the Lakers have a positive, uh, he has a positive plus-minus in all three games when he's on the floor. 37 in Game 1, 31 in Game 2, and 27 in Game 3. Um, I think he's the best defensive player left in the playoffs, and... 
He's no slouch. He gets buckets. He play, He plays great defense. Uh, Carson, while we're on the short topic of Lakers Nuggets, can you explain to me what happened on the boards with the Lakers uh, last night with the Nuggets? I mean, they got brutalized. I don't know if it was Rondo and Caruso switching down low to Jokic or what that was, but they got brutalized. Yeah, it was really strange, and I don't really know what it came down to. I think that part of it was probably a little bit of effort. At the same time, the Lakers really kicked their effort up late, and... You know, it's not like we saw the Lakers shy away from those two big-man lineups. Now, they didn't close with them, and they played they played Dwight and JaVale less than they did in Games 1 and 2, I'm pretty sure. But they still played them a decent amount, so that was a strange thing to see. I have AD at number 2 as well, and I don't think we should undersell what he's doing. Because for a guy who has been a top-five player in basketball, at least debatably for a few years, he's playing the best basketball of his life right now. 28.5-10-4 on a team that is probably going to win the title— and the craziest part is the efficiency. 57% from the field, Logan. 35% from three, 78% from the line. And the guy is unbelievable out of the pick and roll. He's the best lob threat of all time, averaging more than 1.4 points per possession as the roll man. That's absolutely elite, and he's incredible there. But the craziest part is what he's doing as far as skill. Because to shoot 57% with the kind of shots that he's taking is unthinkable. In the paint, in the non-restricted area, where he's basically either putting up, you know, either a post-fade or, or that little floater that he puts up. 53% in these playoffs versus 40% in the regular season. A 13% improvement. From mid-range, 49% in these playoffs versus 35% in the regular season. From three, up by over 2%, and he was near 40% from three before this past game. So... That's what unlocks him as a completely different level of an assassin because if he can consistently hit those fadeaways and those shots off the dribble and those open threes and even a contested three in the case of that game winner in game two, then he can be your closer. And if Anthony Davis may be the best defensive player on the planet, maybe the best lob threat of all time, one of the best role men in basketball, can also be your closer, then you're approaching someone who could be the best player on the planet. So I still can't put him above LeBron. For obvious reasons, as you mentioned, LeBron dictates the game more. But when AD is hitting contested jump shots like this, then there's really a very short list of people in basketball who are better than him. And I think it probably comes down to LeBron and Pete KD. I'm not even sure that I would take Kawhi over Anthony Davis when he's shooting like this. He has been that unbelievable. Let's get into number one, though. And give props to the guy who I think is still definitively the best player on the planet, LeBron James. Logan, talk about LeBron. I, like I just mentioned, I don't think you can overstate LeBron's passing ability. I mean, he's had uh, five over 10 assist games. But what people don't understand about LeBron James, what I think people forget, we talked about it on our top 10 scores of all time pod. I am convinced that LeBron James can go down the floor against the Nuggets on any given possession and score a bucket. He is unguardable. He gets to that baseline, and he does that little spin move, and it, you can't stop him. He's too strong. He runs the floor. He gets down there, and you put Jeremy Grant on him, blows by him. He gets a screen from AD, and they switch Jokic on him. It's a bucket. LeBron is unstoppable, and at this point, I'm happy he has AD because he doesn't have to take over games. He can dump it off to Anthony Davis and say, yeah, man, go give me a bucket. I'm tired. But any given possession, LeBron can score at will. And nobody else in the playoffs can do that. 
Yeah, it really is incredible. And it feels so easy for him, especially in this Nuggets matchup where he just has to get by one guy, essentially, because Jokic isn't going to stop him at the rim. 26-10-9 in these playoffs on 55.5, 35.5, 72-shooting splits. Plays high-level defense when they need him to. The guy has just been utterly phenomenal. And this obviously isn't peak LeBron, but it's so fun to see the different iterations of LeBron. Because when he's young, you have uber-athletic. And then, especially with the Heat, you have this guy who's just an athletic phenom like we've almost ever seen. And then you see him develop to where he can operate from the perimeter a little more with the Cavs. He's a great shooter off the dribble as well. Now we have just bruiser LeBron, who can dominate you out of the post, who has that step-back three as a reliable go-to move closing, who is also while being a bruiser, a point guard, and he facilitates the entire offense, so much pick and roll, just just handling the ball like a point guard would. The guy is unreal. I mean, it's just incredible to watch. You mentioned he has these moves that just nobody has a prayer in the world of stopping, and it's been strange to see that at times, AD has been the guy who stepped up for them when they've needed him most. Game one, AD was the one who took over. Game two, when it was late, LeBron didn't score in the last five minutes. AD got all their points, and he was obviously the one who hit the incredible game winner. At the same time, that's not the kind of sample size that makes me take anything away from LeBron. That's more just a pro-AD argument that he can get to that level as well, and it was an awesome moment for his legacy when he hit that game winner. But when it comes down to it, if they get to a game seven, last four minutes, yeah, they're probably running that LeBron-AD pick-and-roll a lot, but if they're taking one guy to get them a bucket, it's LeBron James. It's not Anthony Davis. So... I think he's still the clear number one choice. Let's talk about some of the narrow misses from this list because we did have some differences in the order, but we had the same 10 guys. I was pretty confident in picking those 10. Was there anyone that really gave you pause that you wanted to maybe put on the list but couldn't find a spot for? I mean, I briefly considered uh, Tyler Hero just because of what we've seen from him uh, running the offense and making some tough shots, but he just doesn't have the numbers to back any of that up. Um, And, you know, I'm not going to lie. I was like, dude, Jeremy Grant might make my list after his game the other night. <laughs> Jeremy Grant's been great when they've needed him most. He was fantastic in games five and six against Utah. He was awesome last night. He's also been one of the best perimeter defenders in these playoffs. Now, it doesn't necessarily show against LeBron because you can't stop LeBron, but he's been really good. The guy for me who was the closest to being included by far was Marcus Smart because he's giving them 15, 5, and 4 right now on 35% from 3. When Marcus Smart can give you 15 points per game and it's not miserably efficient and he's the best defensive guard in the world and he's going to make every little play when you need him to, he's going to be the the biggest guy who shines in the biggest moments. Certainly defensively, offensively, he may be the one who misses the shot, but he's at least going to step up and try to take it. That's really valuable, but... Drogic has been a consistent 20-plus guy, and I didn't want to take that away from him because he's been the best player in some of these games, offensively for sure. When the Heat have needed him to be to win, Marcus Smart has never been put in that position. He's, at best, their fourth option offensively, and with Gordon Hayward back, sometimes he's their fifth. So, that's going to do it for us here today. It's a fascinating pool of guys we have here because Bam Adebayo, Jamal Murray, if you said before this season that those two guys would be in each of our top sevens for for players remaining in the conference finals I think first of all we would have said how did those teams get to the conference finals and then we would have said how are those guys playing that well so LeBron and AD predictable at the top but the rest of this has just been an unbelievable display of talent sometimes from unexpected spots throughout these playoffs and that's what has made these playoffs so incredible is 
it's not the same dynasties going up and uh, against each other again, and there's no presumptive finals matchup. It's been chaos throughout, and it's been really fun. So that's going to do it for us here today. I've been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was NerdSash. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.